You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I discuss the Sixers' decision to fire Doc Rivers. We talk about the press conference Daryl Morey gave on Wednesday to talk about that decision, and we go over some of the strengths and weaknesses of some of the potential candidates that have been rumored to replace Doc. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Joined by Rich for the second time in three days because legitimately, and I checked the freaking timestamps, a minute after we closed our last podcast, Woj broke the news that the Sixers would be moving on from Doc Rivers. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. Uh, Doc Rivers is fired, though. That that yeah, did happen. He gets his $8 million, to $8 million per year to golf. He'll be okay. Oh, yeah. He's probably doing great. I mean, you know, I remember last time people wondered if Doc would uh, take another job just because he'd been coaching for so many straight years, you know, with the Celtics and Clippers, and he jumped right back on the Sixers opportunity. We'll see if that happens again. I mean, he, he does have that, that Riviera membership in Los Angeles, you know. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure he could play a lot of golf. And, yeah, like you said, he had uh, – or like he said – he had two years left on his contract. I mean, look, I, I don't like I feel like the, the golf joke can go like I'm sure Doc wants to coach. I'm sure he enjoys coaching. I'm sure he's competitive. It's just when something like this happens, the ones that I really worry about are the much lower level staffers who tend to go with coaches, you know, the ones who aren't making eight million dollars per year. It's a shame for a lot of those men and women on that staff um, and Doc himself. He'll, he'll be okay. he'll be OK. Yeah, he's he's fine. It's a great point, too, because. Even if those people get other jobs, and there there are people who, you know, work in the player development staff, and again, like it's like you said, the Sixers have millions of people on the staff underneath Doc Rivers, not even just his his top three or four assistants. You know, sometimes those people do catch jobs in other places, but you have to uproot your family and yep. and move to another place. So and that sucks. You know, some people who aren't making millions of dollars per year, like uprooting your family, is a real thing. It's real tough for them. So hopefully, you know, for some of them, especially because I like some of them, we've seen other people be hang or uh, holdovers from Brett Brown's yep. staff to this one, and maybe that is the case. I certainly think if you bring some of the players back, there there is value in that. Sure, um, and it's you know it, it is funny when even going to a, a higher level than this, when a coach gets fired, all we do is think about the head coach in terms of like this guy was a failure for this team. And, and I, again, we, we were behind firing doc, but it's just funny that like it, it's doc is only, he's the face of, of Sixers coaching. Whereas you don't even mention Dan Burke or Dave Yeager yeah. or, or Cassell. We'll only mention Cassell cause he's a candidate uh, on the short list of names, which is kind of the funny thing where, you know, I think he's, I mean, God, he, I would hope he would get a head coaching job at some point. He's been a, a lead assistant for, for such a long time. But, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just it, it's funny that we, we isolate the head coach when really it's it's a collaborative effort. And that's mm-hmm. – uh, oh, well, that's just the way it works. I don't know. I'm just I'm just musing. I'm just I'm just riffing, baby, as Daryl uh, said a yeah, long time I'm ago. Not, I'm not sure you want to use a C word on this podcast. And by C word, I mean collaborative. The collaborative front office is still, I think – hurting some people here emotionally, especially as one of their decisions tears up the Boston Celtics in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. He's pretty good, huh? He's, he's not bad. He's not bad. I I was thinking of this. Jimmy and Joe are pretty much the inverse of each other, right? Yep. Where yep. Joe in the regular season is, what do you think, the, the third, fourth best player going right now, second, whatever. I mean, he won MVP, so he was first this year, but... He's in that top echelon of players, whereas Jimmy in the regular season, I think, is like 20, 20, yeah. yeah. Some, somewhere in there. I certainly think that the Heat's 
crappy offense this year he deserves some blame for. But it goes, when the games really matter, it's the inverse, where Jimmy, I think, is clearly one of the best five players in yeah. the league right now. It's just, <laughs> And I know that's a very lofty, that's lofty territory. I, what are we supposed to do? I mean, he could lose the next four it's games to Boston. It's every year. And I would still say, yeah, he's he's one of the best five players. I, you know. And, oh, by the way, the other thing, too, that I got a kick out of, the Heat, I looked up their, their 94 games of three-point shooting this year. 94, sorry. Three of the top five, game one, Milwaukee, game three, Milwaukee, game one, Boston. They know how to time their made threes in the right spot. But anyway, to, to add to that point, Joe is probably in the 20 range right now in terms of playoff players. Like, I think certainly he's not you know, 50 or something like that, just because being the top guy is hard and failing at that is different than, you know, being a secondary player or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's funny that him and Jimmy best friends are kind of, they go the opposite direction depending on what time of the year it is. All right. So I guess we're, we're sort of bearing the lead a little bit here because we did schedule this podcast pretty much to talk about the decision to move on from doc rivers and sort of the ramifications of that. So I, I guess just a rundown of things that we have. We have Stephen A. Smith reported that Embiid was not help, ha, not happy that Rivers got fired. Daryl um, Morey did too. Daryl Morey pretty much confirmed that. Uh, I think the way Morey phrased it was that he was shocked, uh, that, that Joel Embiid was shocked that, that Doc Rivers got fired, not that he was unhappy, but certainly lend some credence to that. Chris Haynes reported that uh, James Harden intends to decline his $35.6 million player option and become an unrestricted free agent. Which again, I don't think we necessarily needed Chris Haynes to confirm that, but we, you know we all sort of um, assume that it made logical sense. We were running under that assumption for a very long time. Daryl Morey during his press conference uh, yesterday, you know, pretty much said that because they asked him, you know, he basically said we have interest in bringing James back, and then somebody asked him, I think it was probably Howard. It feels like a Howard thing. Does that mean on a new contract? And he was like, well, that's the only way. So that you know. Pretty much showed it was, that he was, it was Howard, by the way. Yeah, pretty much showed that they were running under the assumption that James was going to opt out. And quite frankly, everyone was running under the assumption that James was going to opt out from the moment they signed. That was not ever going to be a legitimate two-year deal. That was a one-year deal with some injury protection in case something catastrophic happened. So there's that. Chris Haynes also says that uh, James Harden is only will only entertain suitors that present a competitive roster and the basketball freedom for the star to be himself. So there's that list of coaching candidates from Woj includes uh, Bud, Sam Cassell, Mike D'Antoni, Nick Nurse, Frank Vogel, and Monty Williams. And then uh, I guess one thing that we didn't mention during the last pod was Ramona you know, basically saying it would be hard for her to see James wanting to come back and play for Doc again. Out of all that, where would you like to begin? I would like to start with Doc where we finished last time and then move forward just because let's move chronologically here. And, and pick up from five minutes after our last podcast ended. I, th- I think it's fair to say anybody who listened to that pod is not, it, it understands that we were not that surprised that Doc got no. fired. We basically talked about him like a dead man walking. Yep. Not, not, um, not dead man walking, a dead man walking. Yeah. And, and I think ultimately this was the right move. Like, I think you, you get so many chances at this. And if you fail after three times, same same amount as Brett, that's that's it. I, I do think it has been very interesting to hear first Stephen A. and then Daryl say, yeah, Joel wasn't loving this. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that goes to show that the, the post-game comments from Joe were, were legit. And Daryl afterwards said people read too much into the post-game comments after a loss. And I, I do think it's, I, I understand in some ways what he's I saying. I think that's where, true sometimes, but he was responding specifically to James, you know, one sentence answer of we're okay with doc. I don't think we read too much into that. I think that one was pretty cut and dry. Yeah. And he, he mentioned, you know, in contrasting it with him, he's like, well, I get to talk two days after we lose and it's not, still like completely fresh it's somewhat fresh and i have some time to compose my thoughts but i would argue the other other way that 
maybe when it's completely fresh, that's actually yeah. really when you know what they they're thinking. Yep. And uh, I just think it's kind of a fascinating dynamic where. In the moment, in the regular season, I don't think we realized Joel Embiid was a huge Doc Rivers guy. I'm not saying he was anti-Doc. I, I just... Yeah. You didn't really think like, oh, man, J- Joe and Doc. He, the, the, Joe is ride or die for Doc. But it's clear that over these past couple of days, we've seen that the, the two best players on this team viewed the head coach differently there just seems to be no question about that yeah and i think it can probably be broken down pretty simply into doc's system helped joe at least joe felt like it helped him and clearly i mean he had his three best seasons twice runner-up mvp one winning mvp and james didn't feel like the system helped him and you know the most concerning thing i think i've seen over the last couple days was that haynes report where he wants the basketball freedom for the star to be himself Hmm. um you know and Go back to the post game seven uh, comments. Uh, James was asked, you know, you said this was about sacrifice. Like, did it work out? And he's like, well, we lost in the second round. I think it's very clear he wants a bigger role. But would you also agree with me that in the course of the regular season, even in the course of the playoffs, even though we don't see everything that happens behind the scenes, you know, you have Ramona mentioning that Doc being frustrated about James's nightlife choices and the example it sets for the team, and, you know, whatever happens at practice, those things, we, we're not completely privy to those things. And and I think Daryl even said it yesterday that much of what happens in coaching happens behind the scenes. I think most coaches would tell you that as well. I, I would say, though, that for the most part, they made it work. They had the best offense in the league yeah. over the past yep. four-plus months. James ran pick-and-roll with Joe to perfection. I thought James played his role for large portions of this season really, really well. And I mean, to be even like more clear, I think that's the role that James should be playing going forward. I don't want to see an offense cater to James. I don't. Well, yeah. And, and that's the point I'm getting to now. Did they make it work in the playoffs? No, not at the very end. They didn't. And the, it's a fine line between the, the margins are thin, man, between winning and losing and, and ultimate success and ultimate failure. But look, James had a couple of great postseason games under Doc, too, as well. Like he had that basketball freedom in game one. I so, so I guess this is my long winded way of saying. I am probably higher in the wake of that horrible loss. I'm higher on what James Harden did this season than I think the average person is uh, average Sixers for sure. fan for sure is because I felt like this look I'm not even blaming anybody for this it's, it's fine your fans like whatever a lot of people after this loss and after Harden no shows game six and game seven they're they go from rooting for him and hoping he can get them over the finish line to man I I really didn't like this guy that much anyway to begin yep. with and this guy his bad habits just completely annoy me you saw a lot of that with jimmy butler too the moment he requested a sign and trade it was like oh man this is the worst person in the world thank god he's off my team yeah maybe that one didn't you know and look i don't think this one's going to come back to but if you're down on james i don't think it's going to come back to bite you this much in part because he's going to be 34 before the next season starts whereas jimmy was you know 29 going on 30 but uh yeah no there's definitely that that swing definitely happens for sure for sure and and look i i get it I, i would just say Looking back at this past season, I'm pretty high on what he did. I thought in the regular season, he played his role perfectly. And in the playoffs, he gave you a couple of good games. And yes, did he no-show game six and seven? Yes. And part of that is just the the James Harden story. Like, he doesn't come through in the big moments. That's him and Joel Embiid are, are, are linked in that way. But part of that is, at 33 years old, I just think the volatility of his game is something you have to deal with like he he relies on that step back jumper he yeah the two-point shooting's down the the free throw shooting is down it's just not as consistent there were so many lanes that i think a 28 year old james harden explodes who gets the rim and gets the line that in this series he just passed out of because i think he knows he can't physically do that which is why some of these comments or some of these reports at least that he wants to get back to the basketball freedom i i, I gave him a lot of credit for i thought understanding that he doesn't have that 
athleticism to play that. And look, maybe these comments, these basketball freedoms, all this stuff doesn't mean that. Maybe it's something different. But it concerns me a little bit because I gave him a lot of credit for acknowledging the limitations of his game. Maybe a little too much in the playoffs, but we'll see. And, we'll see. And you're right. Look, I, I am high. And my point is, while I am higher on what he did during this season, everything I've heard about basketball freedom, and it wasn't just the, the postseason comments. Like, this isn't just posturing, I don't think. Remember he had that quote after they beat Brooklyn about, man, sacrifice. I've been sacrificing yeah. a ton this year. And you rarely see James Harden that animated and that I, I really don't mind listening to his answers. He's pretty straightforward. He, yeah, he's not a huge talker, but he'll get his point across pretty easily to you. The only time he really seemed like he, like, like really enjoyed telling a story was doc texting him that song. That's like the most into a conversation I've seen James in the year and a half covering him. Yeah. Which so, is funny by the way, which is funny because it was a week before. Yeah. Ramona says he hated him at all times. So, and look, I, I guess that's that could be part of the NBA. You, you can make it work while not loving the coach. That, they, both of those things could definitely still be uh, be true. But just like listening to him, listening to basketball freedom, listening to him say, ah, man, I sacrificed a lot this year, and it's hard. And, you know, I I wonder, now that he scored those 40 points, if he thinks, mm-hmm man, I could do that a lot more. And unfortunately, you don't... A, a team with James Harden having that amount of freedom now is just not going to be a good team. And it's certainly, in the Sixers' case, number one, they have Joel Embiid, so of, of course he's not going to have that level of freedom. Um, but two, like, you're not going to win a championship with, with James Harden playing that way. Like, he, you, yep. you'd never won a championship with him even when he was at his absolute best and was... A magician. Now, maybe they could have won a championship in, in 2018, but that that's a different player. That's, that's a long five time years ago. ago. Yeah. So I, I guess that's like a long-winded way of saying I'm higher on what he did this season than most people, but I'm, I'm very scared and you know, down, kind of down on, on some of these comments that, you know, you, you wonder a little bit if the financial sacrifice he made this year is kind of setting in where he's like, like you said, he was, was like, yeah, we, we lost in the second round again. So what difference did it make? And he's like, yeah, that's that's not going to happen again. I'm going to I'm going to want things to be more my my way. And, you know, maybe that involves whoever the new coach is, potentially. We can get into that in a little bit. But I I think there's a good reason to be a little beyond the age and beyond the the game worrying about like what what is James Harden's mindset going into this right now mm-hmm. no when he made those comments about sacrifice after the i think it was after game 4 of the Brooklyn Nets series it sounded a little bit like a threat like i sacrifice and it's better work out otherwise i won't changes and i think everything that sort of happened since then has sort of backed that up and we will see you know we'll see we'll see how this shakes out i've got i've certainly got my concerns in that regard uh, where do we want to go from there? I guess, do we want to go and, and look, they're really stuck between a rock and a hard, I, I've said this a few times, a rock and a hardened place, because at this point when I'm, t- I'm so down, I need my dad buns to get me through it. But they really are stuck between a rock and a hardened place. Like that you, if they let them walk, they've got like nine, $10 million in cap space. That's basically the mid-level exception. You don't gain any flexibility. And on the one hand, if you let them walk, you don't have the pieces for a championship run. On the other hand, if you sign them to a four-year deal, you might be completely effed when this double apron comes in. And when you're still paying him, God knows how much money to be a shell of his, himself and dominate the ball. Like both scenarios have really big concerns. And I'm sure, and, you know, Daryl Morey, you know, said that they have interest in bringing him back, which clearly I think everybody understood that. I'm sure if we spoke to Daryl and he was candid about it, he would say, look, try to get two years of contention. And then after that, I'll figure out what to do with the contract. Like I'll get creative. I'll figure out how to make that work. Maybe he's right. He's done it in the past, but there, there's just not much flexibility to pivot. Like pivoting is hard. Pivoting is is, like, unless you're going to start dangling Tyrese Maxey. Pivoting is real hard right now. Real hard. And by the way, there, I don't think there's anyone me, untouchable right now. 
What about Joe? Yeah, sure. Anyone outside of Joe. And like everyone's talking, oh, trade Joe, explore that, keep your it, – it doesn't – it just doesn't happen. It, the NBA teams do hey. not trade MVP caliber players while they're still in the prime unless the MVP asks out. That's just – it's it doesn't – I I also went through the thought exercise for probably an hour yesterday, and I just came back to not only would you need a team that gives you so much shit that you have draft picks – out the wazoo unprotected five, six, seven years from now. Because guess what? When you trade Joel Embiid to a team, the other teams gonna be awesome. draft picks aren't going to be good. Yeah. They're going to be awesome. That's number one. But the other issue that I, I run into with that is just wait, the, the other benefit of blowing it up and, uh, and is tr- having your you own know, picks be good and you don't have your own picks. They don't yeah. have their own picks. Well, and, and not only that, and look, I, I really don't want to spend too much time debating trading jokes. I think it's mostly a thought exercise for social media and talk radio. Why spend much time talking about something that has a a 0.1% chance of happening? But the other thing is like a lot of the argument is, all right, well, trade him now before he asks out and you lose leverage. Well, have you been paying attention to the NBA in the last decade? Like it doesn't matter if somebody asks out, you still have leverage because you have that MVP caliber player. As long as he's playing at that level and healthy, you will get a hole for him. Would you maybe be able to squeak out like one extra pick swap if you trade him now instead of when he asks out? Maybe. But is that championship equity you're you're missing out by not having Joel Embiid over the next three years because you're preemptively trading him worth that one extra pick swap? Fuck no. Like, come on. Let's be real here. Let's be real. And, and you're right. It's It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I, I do think we're probably going to spend a little bit of time asking what happens if Harden leaves, though. And, sure. You know, is there is there a way to pivot to 2024? Off season when when you have a little extra cap space, and uh, and those things because I like look giving him a four year deal is absolutely horrifying. I, yep. it's, it's horrifying. I agree. I agree. And there is a way to have cap space not this summer, but I think next summer before Maxi's extension comes in. But you have to have Joe's buy in that. Like, all right, well if they win, you know, fifty games and get bounced in the second round again, is he going to be okay with that? Because there's you're you're you might have a chance of of making a big splash a year from now. You don't have much opportunity to make a big splash now, and you really need his buy-in to do that. Yep. So so that'll be something we uh, we talk about for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, the Harden question is fascinating. I mean, I think it's funny that he mentions. I want to compete and I want basketball freedom because I think those are are pretty different. Yeah. I mean they're pretty conflicting ideas at this point. I don't think aging superstars tend to be the greatest self-evaluators anyway, and especially coming off of a pair of 40-point games and especially, you know, that coming off of a really good season. Like I do think he had a really good season. I I agree with your point. I think his contributions not counting the you know four of the last seven games i think his contributions have been generally understated but i think a big chunk of that is because i think he was in the right role for him and his desire to change that role is i think a little concerning not a little concerning i think it's very concerning for an aging superstar and it's like he wasn't in alcatraz or anything when we're talking he wasn't in basketball jail here (laughs) you know he he led the league in assists he led the league in assists. He had the ball in his hands just a ton. Like It wasn't like Joe had the ball in his hands to start. But the difference is, per 36 minutes, you know, when he was playing James Ball, as Zach Lowe has called it before in Houston, you know, there were, there were three years where he took 20, 24, and 22 shots per 36. He took and that's quietly understating it because he also probably took like 12 free throw attempts per 36. And he took 14 this year and yeah i mean i just i just look at harden and again i I appreciate what he did this year for the most part but man those bad games when you have the the high 30s usage oh my god like the the three for 17 games what does that turn into four for 26 games (laughs) yeah yeah no his his aging curve scares the living bejeebus out of me and the only way he can mitigate that, first of all, it would be great if he like took a Jimmy Butler-like approach to conditioning and diet. I don't see that happening, but, you know, and there were reports out there, mostly from Ramona, that part of Doc's problem with him this year was, you know, his 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 off-court habits, we'll just call them. Not sure I see him aging gracefully. And the only way you can mitigate aging 
and maybe not having the best workout regime is your mindset has to be like perfect for your for your age for your abilities and i do worry that he is going to want more than he is capable of as he ages out of his prime but there i think ramona also mentioned that they didn't see eye to eye on the direction of the offense and to that i would say yes their offense probably needs some tweaking like they they didn't have any answers for the really hard games the playoff games you have daryl yesterday talking about we need to simulate more playoff type games in the regular season which I don't know how you do that. How do you get no, the other 29 teams to uh, to throw a weird defense at you? You can they, do they everything don't... you want. Like, Charlotte's not going to look like Boston. It's just not going to happen. I know. I know. Which, I, I look at that offense and I say, man, it, it was pretty It's pretty damn good for a lot of the year. You know, it made a lot of sense. I, I know some people want more off-ball movement. And I, I also think Daryl made a good point, too. It's like, well, if you add toughness, then maybe your off-ball movement goes a little bit down. It's like, yeah, yeah, you have P.J. Tucker and... And some of these other guys, yeah, you don't move as much. So I'm not saying a head coach, and we'll get to them in a sec here, some of the candidates. That head coach could make a difference. Could make a difference tactically, too, for for sure. But it was pretty good. Like, it's it's a pretty high floor that, that you're working with here. So, you know, you're, you're talking about some very specific adjustments. And when I hear Daryl talk, things like we need to find Joe more playoff situations in the regular season and firing doc and coaching is more about x's and o's it's about how you work with your stars but also our star our mvp also really like the coach i just fired i i just got the sense that this is going to be a very unsatisfactory off season like it's just not straightforward and in past years right like at these following uh these these post playoff press conferences at the draft or whatever the goal was pretty simple 2020 get some shooting in here like there's no there's yep. no shooting on the team right now 2021 oh my god ben simmons melted down what, what the hell are you going to do with this and that that was the whole thing and that that stretched on into the year last year more two-way players like george and, and matisse like they, they couldn't stick on the floor in the playoffs you need to find guys who can stick there this year is less satisfactory and it's because Joe and James are kind of at the center of like, man, they yeah. just got to be yep. way better. Yep. Speaking of Matisse, there was a moment where he mentioned that Joe didn't like one of the trades that they made because of the player they were sending out until he had to be convinced basically of the player they were getting in. He was talking about the Matisse trade, right? That has to be the one. I guess, yeah. I, I Like, I don't, I don't think he was talking about like the Jason Richardson trade. I'd be surprised if that was the case. Wait, Certainly not the Al Horford trade. Joe was going up to Hanky saying, eh, Jay Rich, I think he's got something left in him. Um, or I had another quote I wanted to bring in here. There was also the quote that uh, – you mean, you mean Josh Richardson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got through a whole year of not doing that, and I do it now. Yeah, I, I was sitting there like, why the hell is Rich bringing up Hanky about a move that happened in 2020? I was very confused for him. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget 
If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, What am I looking for? I'm looking for the one on not having input. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, the players, and this, Doc was basically asked, not Doc, um, Daryl was asked about James and Harden having input on the coaching search and then on the doc decision. Daryl said the players won't have a direct input in the coach. Obviously who we have as players, I think impacts how you want to look for a coach that is a fit with how we want to play and the players we have, but the players won't have an input on that. I don't think I believe that if I'm being completely honest, like that sounds like something that Daryl would say just because he doesn't want it to be, to seem like James Harden is having an outsized influence. I sort of hope that won't be true because that seems like a good way to alienate your star players. And I think Daryl Moore, with what he has shown over the course of his career, is very hesitant to alienate his star players. I think he takes that very seriously. It stuck out a little bit, though. Stuck out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, especially on the heels of him saying that Joe and Doc are very close and that, that he was shocked by the trade. I Look, I agree with you. And I guess we can get into it right now, the coaching candidates. According to Woj, uh, Budenholzer, Cassell, D'Antoni, Nick Nurse, Frank Vogel, and Monty Williams. I don't think any of them would be a surprise. I think you would, if you were going to craft a list before the reports came out, those names would probably be on most of them. Yeah. So during the Sam Hinkie, Brian Colangelo passing of the baton, the forced passing of the baton, as uh, we don't need to relitigate that, as as many people know what happened. Believe Joe at his MVP press conference. What did he say? He said they ran my guy Sam Hickey out. Yeah. So whatever. That whole sequence of events. I think a big word we used at that time was optics. Sure. We talked about that a lot. Yeah. And even before Brian Colangelo, Colangeloed all over the Sixers, we talked about how bad the optics were that Jerry Colangelo was like, yeah, we did a thorough search. We, we, we and landed a lot right of on my son. Yeah. Scott O'Neill too. Yeah. We, we had a lot of people just, just made the search. Oh, Oh, we hired my son. And that's, that's still my, one of my favorite things. Cause like a lot of people remember that as like, Oh, they interviewed 76 people. No, no, no. They started with a list of 76 names and whittled it down. They only interviewed a couple, but like, who cares how many people you put in a spreadsheet? Like I can put a lot of candidates. In. Anyway, we're on a complete tangent. Yes. So during that time, though, we said, man, the, the optics of that hire are just not very good. It does not seem like they made a very thorough search. And to be clear, at that time, the Sixers were at a very critical juncture because they had all of these assets. They had the freedom to make all of these moves. They're I feel like difference. where you're going to, like, you're not going to complain about the optics of Frank Vogel. I think I might have an idea where you're going to with this tangent. No. I no the optics on Frank Vogel, uh, NBA champion, yeah. local guy Frank Vogel. I, I would not complain about the optics of that, although I'm not sure he's really fixing the offense from from what I've seen with Frank Vogel. No, the, the optics are are very simple here. If if Mike D'Antoni gets hired, uh, I'm not sure how good that looks. It certainly won't. There there will be a lot of people drawing that same conclusion. And I think the one saving grace is that Joe has pushed for Mike D'Antoni in the past, back when they hired Doc Rivers. Um, it was Ben Simmons who wanted Lou. It was Joe who reportedly wanted D'Antoni. So at least you have that. And Doc was the compromise. Yeah. Yep. yep. But yeah, I mean, look, it, it, <laughs> it really is amazing. You will end up with Dan House, PJ Tucker, James Harden, Mike D'Antoni. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. You will end up with them five years after their kind right. of prime in, yeah. in Houston. And look, I, I think Mike D'Antoni is one of the – like, he's he's a pioneer. I mean, honestly, he's sure. really changed the way basketball was played. Re- really, like, the, the contributions he has made to the game have, have yep. been 
there have been a lot of coaches that have won titles and he has not won a title that really have like no they're not even in the same discussion as him in terms of how much he has like influenced and impact how the game is played. It's I don't know. I find that to be a tough sell. That that sure seems like you're you're trying to keep James Harden here. And look, I think Mike D'Antoni's a very good coach. I'd be interested to see how he used Joel Embiid mm-hmm. and Tyrese Maxey as well. But again, the optics would be what they are. Yeah, and look, he was incredibly innovative 15 years ago. Incredibly. Like, changed the game. Does he still have innovations left in him? And I don't mean that because he's 72. I'm just saying that the game has changed very much in the 15 years since they really brought seven seconds or less. Like, what he was doing back then wouldn't be considered fast pace. It wouldn't be considered high-volume threes. Like, can he find ways to continue to innovate the whole, in today's The whole league knows NBA? how to play basketball now. Yeah, yeah. We he, he showed people the secrets, and now everybody copied it and, and pushed it and pushed it and pushed it to its logical extremes, including, including um, the guy who might hire him now. And you're right, like, it would be a completely different system with Joel Embiid. I mean, Mike D'Antoni has been pretty vocal about, oh, post-up basketball is nonsense. Well, look, he wasn't, he didn't have, you know, he was talking about Amari Stoudemire or whoever when he was making, or Zach Randolph or whatever, when he was making those quotes, he didn't have Joel Embiid at his disposal, and Joel Embiid doesn't post up as much as he used to anyway, but, like, using a big man like that who's not just a pure pick-and-dive threat would be new for him. And he, look, I think Mike D'Antoni is a really smart guy, like, he'll figure it out. And to your point, like they need offensive innovation more than they need defensive because at the end of the year, you know, defense is usually not the problem in the playoffs. Even this year when you're running out George and Yang against one of the most athletic teams in the league, like they, they still found a way to be competitive. So they need an offensive innovator. Although it's interesting that Daryl at another point in that pod, or, uh, podcast, in that press conference, uh, mentioned that tactics are overrated in a coaching search, which is something I think you and I have both expressed some level of agreement with in the past. But they it, having an innovator would be great, but is it just to make it the James Harden show? It's fair concern. It's fair concern. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of people want like more ball. I think it's natural to say, "Oh man, they were too ISO heavy. They were too dependent on Joel and James." And I think that both is is fair because it's not like the most fun offense in the world to watch sure. when it's bad, but also. I think whenever you lose, it's like let's do the opposite thing automatically. Yeah, and sure. and yep. And I do think there there was some truth in what Daryl said. It's like, look, we we tried to build a roster that was a little more stagnant, and we upgraded on toughness and and those type of things and physicality and trying to get two way players. And I, I like look, I I think that <laughs> even as we talk about the coaches here, the moral of the story is I think Daryl has done his job over the past couple of years. I think he did his damn job last year as well. And gave James and Joel a roster that was good enough to win if they were good enough. And they weren't. And that's what makes this an uncertain and unsatisfactory offseason because there's no clear answer except these two guys who are about to be 30 and 34 got to be better when it counts. And they really haven't for most of their careers. Uh, You mentioned uh, D'Antoni and and being an innovator. I remember his – I think I've mentioned this on the pod. I mean, again, this is a while ago. Dan D'Antoni, his brother, was a college coach. Yeah. He had an unbelievable – if you want to Google it, Dan D'Antoni analytics rant. Go go Google that. And he's he's yelling at a reporter about, you know, the reporter's like, should you have gotten the ball more in the paint? I think he was coaching Marshall. And he's like – he goes on like a three-minute rant about, you know what the worst play in basketball is? A post-up. <laughs> he's like, I haven't finished my damn analytics story yet. Anyway. So Mike D'Antoni is certainly comes from that uh, that type of school. And the other thing, too, is like when we talk about ball movement and diversifying the offense, they were very ISO heavy in yeah. Houston under Harden. And it worked because Harden and Chris Paul were amazing isolation players. So, like, look, I, I don't think Mike D'Antoni is like – he certainly can change up his, his offense. He's not a, a one-trick pony or like he – he clearly can look at what the best players do and try to tailor it to them. But I will say, I don't think Doc was like too far from doing that either. He just just did not work in the highest pressure uh, games. And unfortunately, like Mike D'Antoni, no, his offense yeah. has not gotten him to a championship either. I like look. I, I again, I don't want to just judge him on that, but it's true. That's all. 
you you brought it up perfectly last podcast where every fan base is going get bud the hell out of town bring in monty williams and the Suns are like get monty the fuck out of town and bring in bud and it's like all right well like not everything can be true and daryl i think sort of like kind of alluded to this where it's like it's not that one coach is necessarily better or worse than the other it's just that they might have certain strengths or weaknesses or tactics that work with this roster and didn't work with that roster okay i guess at the end of the day your stars need to be stars um so, so let me ask you this. Let's say James and Joe are back, and it's roughly the same team. Obviously, you know, the, there could be some changes at the bottom end of the rotation, whatever. Maybe maybe Tobias gets traded, you know, for, for pieces, whatever. If those two are your, your main players, who is the best coach of those five, in your opinion? Who, who would be the best hire? That's a great question. I don't know if I fully believe in any of them, but I also don't disbelieve in any of them either. If this was three years yeah. ago, I think I would have said Nick Nurse. The stink of the last two years has been kind of stinky. I think a lot of that is that he just didn't have very good players who could make plays for others. They were a little bit too much overlap in what their strengths and weaknesses are. And I've always been impressed by their defense. The problem is there's so many that are just not known for their playoff adjustments. Like they, they sound like a lot of very different flavors of Doc Rivers. Um, See to me, to me, Bud is out. I, I can't get get over the playoff stink of, of no. His. I look, I agree, but like Monty has two playoff stinks in a row. Completely agree. I don't know. For some reason, I have more of a, a blind eye towards towards Monty's playoff stinks. But I, I will agree. admit they are there. They're there, and it's. <laughs> It's it's the funny thing about this. I mean, I, I think your point is a very good one. You could talk yourself into pretty much any of them, but you can also talk yourself out of them. Yeah. Too. <laughs> the only one you really don't know much about is Sam Cassell, who, who, by the way, hasn't necessarily been a huge embracer of analytics and analytically minded playing, but he's done so much for Tyrese that maybe you give him the benefit of the doubt. And by, and by the way, like a lot of these coaches, Brett Brown, when they Sixers hired Brett Brown, he was not a huge believer in analytics, but he was flexible. You know, uh, Mike D'Antoni, he's credited with this offensive revolution that lines up with statistics, but he wasn't doing it because of the statistics. It just statistics ended up lining up with his basketball philosophy. So, like, I don't want to say, like, every coach that Daryl Morey hires has to be an ardent supporter of advanced analytics. I don't think Daryl's giving it to a guy who hasn't been a head coach, though. So I'd almost cross Sam Cassell off the list. I would be surprised if he did. I'd be surprised, too, now. If Sam Cassell was still here, you could still keep most of your staff if you think it's mm -hmm. good. Uh, and one other quick Sam Cassell note, because I, I think you're right. I, I think it'll probably be somebody I, else. I don't think it's going to be Jaeger because I think Daryl buys too much into star player management and the coach has to be able to manage the personalities of the stars. And that was not Jaeger's strength in his past. Maybe he's gotten better and grown. Uh, maybe those reports are overblown. But based on the public reporting, I would be surprised if it was Jaeger. I think uh, one other thing about Sam, though. I mean, Sam I, think Cassell, it, I, think it, I think it's going to be D'Antoni. I would, I would put him as a favorite for sure. And by the way, the one person we didn't talk is the one that sports books fucking love, and that's JJ Redick. And I have no idea where that's coming from, but I've seen two different sports books now have JJ Redick as a favorite. Well, what, one of them made him the favorite, and they didn't even spell his name right. Yeah, it's but, one D, not yeah. two. Yeah, I don't know. I guess you get you get one Raptors interview, and you become the favorite for the Sixers job. I mean. Maybe they they're have not. just some some crazy good inside info, but they're I, not seems... hiring somebody with zero coaching experience to elevate them. I'd, I'd be stunned. And look, well, I think we're a pro JJ Redick podcast. He was literally on the podcast. I would be stunned, stunned. It's one thing to not hire somebody with NBA head coaching experience. It's one. It's another thing to hire somebody with zero head yes, coaching experience. Yes. And I, I think mean, JJ's we just a very smart. Like I think he knows the game of basketball incredibly well. But you just can't do that. You can't do that. Did not exactly work in Brooklyn with uh, with Steve Nash. So, oh, can you imagine oh, if we got a press conference where James Harden is like, "Yeah, Joe and I are co coaches." Oh my god, fucking shoot me! I won't do that. But <laughs> Sam Cassell. One other thing with him, though, James Harden pretty close with him, like like yep. pretty pretty good relationship, pretty good player develop. I mean, obviously, James Harden has developed his game. To the point where he's honed it, where he's, uh, you know, 33 years old. It's not like there's too many tricks for him left to learn. But Sam Cassell was the person who 
was kind of tasked with with managing him on a, on a day to day basis. And I again, I thought James Harden had a really good year this year for what he was asked to do. So Sam Cassell probably deserves some credit on that. Uh, if I had to pick, like again, and I don't know about the the man management or whatever. I can't get over the stink of Nick. Nick Nurse's offense has been it's bad. Brutal. It's brutal. The I past years. And, and the more I watch it, I'm like, you know, his offense when it was they had Kawhi Leonard was like, just throw the ball to Kawhi and, and hope he, he scores. And he scored two more points than the Sixers in that fateful game. He certainly was, was terrific in the season after Kawhi left. Uh, Monty Williams would be a very interesting name to me for a couple of reasons. I think he's run some beautiful offense over his time in Phoenix. Like, and Doc made this point too because Monty is such a good guy. He's like such an unbelievable speaker. Like the way he talked about his wife after her tragic death was—I mean, it's just incredible. I think he's just somebody who you clearly would want to be around. He's clearly mm-hmm. just a really good person. But Doc also made the point. He's like a lot of people bring that up with African-American coaches and say, man, what a great motivator they are. What a great, you know, great player skills, people skills, whatever. Machi ran really good shit in Phoenix too. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a good point that Doc made. Um, they, they ran like a very, I'm trying to describe it, like an egalitarian pick and roll offense that a lot of player movement, a lot of like Spain pick and rolls thrown in there now. Does it help a little bit when you have Chris Paul and Devin Booker? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah it helps. De- Devin Booker, we're talking about playoff killers too. I know, I know, he lost in the, this last series, but that dude wasn't is, his fault. It's pretty damn good. Uh, and look, I mean, I think this year, yeah, M- Monty lost in the playoffs this year, but he also had like three players that were good by the end of that yeah. series. Like, the, and they his played team was like horrible. Eight games together. Yeah. So for that reason, that would be the first reason that. Okay, he runs a really good offense. But the other reason is that he has a pre-existing relationship with your star player. And your star player clearly likes him a little bit. Your star player talked about him after the game 7 loss and said, "Yeah, like coach Monty, like he was somebody who I was I was very, you know, I I know was a very good coach and he got fired and that's a bummer." So that would be my number 1 choice. But I also understand there are other behind the scenes dynamics that are going to um influence this decision and like you said if James Harden is back here I would put my money on Mike D'Antoni yeah being the guy I would I think D'Antoni's a the betting favorite is the way I would describe it. I think you're probably right I think Monty is probably the one that you hold their track record against the least and I do think you need offensive innovation more than you need defensive ones and I certainly agree on the concerns with Nick Nurse and the offense they ran. Frank Vogel, championship coach, uh, wasn't exactly the most imaginative play calling there. Although I think he's a, he's a good coach. I could get behind him. Oh, yeah. Great defensive coach. Yeah. And Bud, certainly the, the collapses and the lack of adjustments, um, especially early on in his tenure there. In Milwaukee are bigger concerns than probably anything I have with Monty. If Monty had just lost like regular end of season games instead of 30 point drubbings at home. I think the selling point would be a lot easier, but I also don't necessarily think that is all on the coach or even mostly on a coach, especially this year when so much was uh, in flux. I could, I could go Monty. I could, I, you, you could talk me into that pretty easily. And look, I think Bud is a terrific coach as well. I just don't like care about the Sixers winning 57 games during yeah. the regular season. Yeah. And yep. you know, maybe he could evolve, but I don't know. I, I just, I saw a lot of the same problems in the postseason in that there, you know, a lot of people talked about, you know, Bud and, oh, man, Brooke Lopez, why is he hanging back by the rim, drop coverage, blah, blah, blah. They they couldn't score. That was their problem. They mm-hmm. couldn't score in the freaking half court. That, that was always their problem in the postseason. And I think if that is the issue, I hold that against you. But uh, look, it, it's <laughs> – I think your point was really good. I could talk myself into any of them. But – I also give me enough time. Have, I can talk myself out of any of them too. Have reservations, and I think that goes back to show that goes to show that this person by themselves like is not going to change yeah. a lot yeah. of things. And I agree. and I would say too, if D'Antoni is hired, and a lot of people are, are not happy with that, just doesn't sit well with them. I get it. I get it. I don't know. 
James Harden does have leverage over the Sixers if they want him back, which it sure seems like they do with the new contract. Uh, but he certainly is not good enough to be dictating who the head coach is yeah. above and beyond yep. the rest of your team. And that's that's the unsatisfactory offseason we're in right now. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? I'm happy the Spurs got Wemby. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Talk about lottery luck, that team, man. That franchise. Yeah. Good for them. Good for them. They got lucky, but I I also, whether it's Brad or Pop or just nostalgia for liking their past players, Duncan and Ginobili and all those guys. And maybe it's the fact that they're in like such a small market that, I don't know, you don't really hear a lot about it about them when they're bad. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm i okay with them getting lucky multiple times. Yeah, I no, I'm, I'm not against it. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm, was, still, I'm still hurt about Tim Duncan all the way back in the late 90s. That one hurt, man. That one hurt. No, no look, they got they got really lucky. But their their tank job this year was masterful. They tanked really hard for just one year. You know, they, they kind of were a franchise with zero direction, tank for one year, Make an awesome trade yep. to ship DeJounte Murray out there. So now you have multiple draft picks coming in, and then you get freaking Wemby. And they, look, yep. I, I think some of it is 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 luck, but also knowing what the right year is to tank mm-hmm. is important. And, you know, I know this next draft does not have a Wemby at the top of it, and they, they clearly identified, hey, if we're going to be bad, this is the damn year to do it. That's uh, I, I know that sounds easy now that we're we're in the point where you could just getting the lottery but making the organizational decision to do that pretty good i'm not sure this next draft even has a scoot yeah this is going to be a a tough one tough one and also probably big that the rockets didn't get that pick because i think now they're probably more likely to trade it if they're more likely to trade it that might make the chance that james bolts higher whereas before maybe you would be going on wemby's timeline um we'll see we'll see how this all plays out we'll see how it all plays out we'll have plenty of podcasting left to fret over this contract. Thank you, Rich. For jo- you look like you're about to say you want want to add one more thing. Well, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think there uh, there could be some more basketball freedom considering how uh, how the lottery balls bounce for Houston, not in their favor. Could there yep. could there be a few more dollars, a few more years, and a a little more basketball a few freedom? More shots. Uh, yep. And a, it, I'm just picturing James Harden in like you know a basketball court, some oasis kind of around him. You know, just. Lush vegetation, beautiful trees, maybe, you know, <laughs> a nice little stream going by the basketball court and him just having the ball, being able to pound it for 20 seconds and then fire a step back jumper at the end of it. That's yeah. it. Sorry. That's what that's what we're ending on. Uh, thank. Thanks. Thanks for that image, Rich. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on. And we will talk to you soon. See you, man.